So last week we began catechesis, working through a catechism, which, if you were raised in a in a mainline Protestant church, you probably had a catechism at some point if you went through a confirmation process. A catechism is a way of teaching the doctrine and the teachings of the church in a question and answer format. That's really the basics of it. It's been used throughout time, especially in the Christian church. Because for whatever reason, we really love to teach about doctrine. This is that and not the other. This is this and not that. All that kind of thing. Very, making these, these distinctions. And doctrine probably is what gets most people worked up about Christianity because depending on how you understand it and how you apply it, it can be very off-putting or it can be really difficult to, to sort of grasp in your mind. And so as we, as we move into this year, we're going to be spending a lot of time with this catechism. It's called the New City Catechism. If you have a phone, right, you can pull it like Paul's got his phone up. You can, you can download the app and you can have this devotional for free. So it has the questions and the answers and it has some writings about it and a prayer. It's a once a week kind of thing. If you're interested in it, I encourage you to maybe two or three times a week just read the same one. It's 52 weeks. It's 52 questions. And so we're going to be working through this over the next year. And so... This week, we're talking about a question, what is God? And here's the thing, I I often think about this, like most of us, or at least, I'll speak for myself, most of the time, as an average everyday person, not, not fulfilling my role as a pastor or that sort of thing, I don't necessarily spend a lot of time thinking about God. And I don't think most other people do either, unless you have some sort of practice or readings or, or whatever. We're, we go about our daily life. I mean, maybe you go somewhere, maybe you go over to Charlottesville and you, and you, you decide to hike in the foothills and, and you come upon this beautiful vista. And maybe that opens your mind, like, wow, what, this is beautiful, like, and that brings in questions like, why is this here and who made this and, and those kinds of things. You might think about God, or if, if you're that kind of person, you might go, oh, I thank God for this beautiful sight. You know, perhaps at night, like if you grew up like I did out in the country where there, were, there, there was very little light noise, you know, where, where cities had lots of light noise, but you could, at night, it was very dark and the stars are out, you just see all of them and it's just, it's really astounding. And maybe you think about God then in, in some way and maybe give thanks most of the time, I think, when we think about God, we think about God when something bad happens. Something that we think is bad. We get fired. Or we're just unhappy. Or a child gets sick, or we get sick, or a parent, something happens. I mean, all those kinds of things. Or, or just the world starts to go off the rail, what we think is off the rails. You know, we're like, okay, where is God? How could God allow this to happen, sort of thing? All of a sudden, we have all these ideas about God, all of these things that that we we haven't even spoken of, we haven't even thought of, but we have all these ideas about God that that come up for us, I think. Because in some way, we've been taught about God, maybe, maybe through the church, but maybe through our culture. So this question, what is God? 
And I had to stop right there. I didn't even get to the answer. Do you know what I was wondering, Katie? Katie usually knows what I'm thinking, which is really scary. I was thinking, why is it not who is God? I had to go look up the difference between what and who. English major, you know. So what's the difference between what and who? What's that? Right, usually a thing versus a person. So I really find it interesting that in a faith, our faith, the Christian faith, where we talk about God is a personal God, this question, and throughout time, if you go back to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, it has this question as well. What is God? And as I thought about that question a little bit, I thought, well, in some ways it's partially in the answer because God is something other to us. Now, right now, I'm probably talking more about God the Father, as we would think about it that way. But God, the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is, in many ways, something other to us. And here's the answer that this catechism gives. I'm also going to read you the shorter catechism answer. Here's the answer. God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in his power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. The Shorter Catechism says, God is a spirit, infinite and eternal, unchangeable, in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. What I find super interesting is in both of these definitions, what's missing? Love. And yet, it's right there in the Bible. First John like is making this point in that little section, over and over and over and over again, that God is love. And so I just wondered, well, maybe maybe because we're asking the question, what is God, and we're trying to give these descriptors, not who is God, maybe that's part of the difference. That's pure speculation on my part. That's just me thinking. But those are some of the qualities of God, and so perhaps that's why the what, we're just describing qualities of God. And so we talk about God being infinite and unchangeable, eternal, that God is, has justice and truth and wisdom and all of these kinds of things that seem, and I don't know about you, but those just seem very sort of, you know, off there, not, not very relatable concepts. But the other thing that we know from, especially, especially through the Old Testament too, but especially then as, as we have Jesus walk into the picture, be born into the picture, literally, that God is also eminent, meaning God is with us. That's why we call Jesus that, right? God with us. That God is also, yes, we, we think about this unknowable, unchangeable spirit 
that feels very like, untouchable. But then we also have in the Old Testament through those interactions that people have with God, this very, this very close and active and engaged sort of God. And sometimes I think because our minds, we love to put things into boxes of this or that, we have a difficult time understanding a God who can be this relatable, this personable, this close to us, and also be wisdom and justice and power and infinite and unchangeable. And in some ways, I think that's the beauty of it, because we're always in a process of seeking to understand what God is and who God is. I love this, and it's in the devotional, but I'm going to read it a little bit, that D.A. Carson, they quote D.A. Carson, and he writes about how when one person uses God, what says the word God, and another person says the word God, that doesn't mean that they mean the same thing, that they're expressing the same thing. God, for some, is an inexpressible feeling, or it's the unmoved cause at the beginning of the universe, or it's a being full of transcendence. And then he goes, but we, meaning Christians, we're talking about the God of the Bible. And the God of the Bible, he says, is self-defined still quoting, he talks about himself as being eternal and righteous. He's the God of love. D.A. Carson goes there. He's the God of transcendence. That is, he's above space and time and history. Yet, he is the eminent God. That is, he is so much with us that we cannot possibly escape from God. He is everywhere. He is unchangeable. He is truthful. He is reliable. He's personal. That's a lot. It's a lot. A lifetime's worth of study and reflection is just contained in this question. D.A. Carson reminds us what's important is that God has disclosed God's self to us through these scriptures. Through God's relationship with God's people. And I just want to remind you about the scriptures. You know, it's not like other holy books where you read it and you just go, oh, this is really enlightening and light. It's, this, is a, this is raw stories about broken people relating to their God. And this God that is, at times, feels very intimately involved in directing things almost. But then you also read in the scripture where people are like, where are you? Will you come down here and do something about this? I know none of you have ever prayed that prayer. Especially not recently. Right? Where are you in the midst of all of this confusion and this strife and this anger and this, and this division? Where are you in the midst of this? And what's interesting here, D.A. Carson goes on to say, is that because of this storyline of the scripture and all these ways that that we've been given to to begin to understand what God is and who God is, D.A. Carson says, we are not permitted to take one attribute of God and make everything of it. I think for those of us in the mainline church, especially the what we might call the, the I, I hate these terms, I'm going to use them just because I think we sort of understand what we're talking about, the more liberal or the more progressive mainline churches, we, we get very focused on God as love. And oftentimes we sort of mean it like this squishy sort of love, this sort of warm, fuzzy feeling sort of love. And when things happen that don't 
don't necessarily relate to that, we get very, well, and people then, and, and our faith gets a little unsteady because we're like, well, but if, if this is happening, how is this a God of love that's part of this and, and all that? And those are great questions. But, but sometimes we take one attribute of God and we, we look at it. See, Carson says we cannot, let's say, take God's sovereignty and forget God's goodness. Or take God's goodness and forget God's holiness, which means God is other than we are set apart. We can't take God's goodness and separate it from God's judgment. Because I would argue that a God of love, as we hear in 1 John, that God is love, it's just this direct equal sign, that when you love something, really love it, and for those of you who have had the opportunity to to have children understand, when you love something, you have to put barriers and parameters in place. There's discipline involved. Sometimes your children don't love you so much because of, of the way that you're seeking to love them. And again, I'm using a metaphor, a human metaphor, to try and understand who God is. And that's what we have, but it's limited. And so all of these words are things for us to reflect on and to think about. And I've been avoiding... Well, let me go back one second. Luther, Martin Luther wrote this. God is... Whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that really is your God. Whatever your heart clings to and confides in. So I want you to think about that at some point. How often are you checking your financial portfolio? There are some people who check it every single day. Like They're more regular than that than they are diet and exercise. Is the heart clinging to that, perhaps? Whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that really is your God. I want you to think about that as we think about what is God. Because we can make gods out of all kinds of things. And I mean, and I say God's lowercase g. And in the psalm it said, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord. The Bible even sort of insinuates that there are other things that we could make little gods, but that the God that we understand, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the one God over all of those gods, that God is one in this three, and that this God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That is a, a refrain you will hear in the Old Testament over and over And so then, like I said, I've been avoiding this in this answer. What is God? God is the creator and sustainer of everything, everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in his power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. 
Hmm. Does that raise any questions for you? Me too. Me too. What about all the suffering? Does God cause all the suffering in this world? The wars and the rumors of war, the division among us. Nothing, it says. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. Hmm. It's a tough teaching. And I've spent a few hours this week going to some resources to, to learn about how Reformed theologians have talked about suffering and God's, and God's relationship to suffering. And I was reminded that God is intimate with suffering and with division. God heard the cries of the suffering Israelites and brought them out of slavery. God and his son suffered for our sin on the cross. God is intimate with suffering. And so while I don't have my answer yet, and I'm not, I can't give you some clear-cut thing about why it says nothing happens and how that works within the relationship that we have with God, I encourage you to meditate and to think about that. What if you pair that with God works good through everything that comes to pass. Which is also not quite that way in the Bible, but it's in the scripture. What if the things that we are suffering, we don't think, oh, God caused this, but maybe that's not our first thought. But maybe our first question is, how might God be working through this for the good of me and the people around me. If nothing happens except through his will, how might God be working through this? It's a very different place to be. And so as I'll say over and over and over again, I want you to be challenged by these teachings. I want them to, to generate some, some thought because that is the gift that we've been given. God gave us a brain God gave us a conscience. God, God gave us ways of thinking through. God gave us a heart. And God gave us a community in which to discern these things together. And then discern, well, if this is who God is, how are we to live? How are we to respond to all of the things that happen in our lives? If this is who God is and what God is, then how are we to live in response to this God? We love because God first loved us, First John says. So may God's love challenge you. May it open you to God's wisdom. May you know that it is infinite and unchangeable for you and for the whole creation. And it comes to us in its fullest sense in His Son, Jesus the Christ. May this teaching bless you. Amen.